it is World Cup time. Mm -hmm. We have uh, the Morocco-Iran game playing in the background, so my attention may be a little bit divided. But uh, my very good friend, our very good friend from Uruguay, their yeah. team advanced today. Even though, to I even though I wasn't rooting for them, I had to root for Egypt because of our friend Nadim. International. We know people from all over the world, man. <laughs> yeah, it was, you know what, Egypt played, I mean, Uruguay had the yeah. superior team. They've got uh, Suarez on there, and he didn't bite anybody this time, so <laughs> I'll, 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 give him a, I'll give him a few points for that. Yeah, I know we have to, we, we have to do a quick show today, but, but yeah. how do you feel, how, what does America not being in this tournament mean to you? As a big, big fan. People know you're a big fan, right? You know, I grew up with the United States not being a part of the World Cup. It was it had it had been in the World Cup back, back in like uh, 1952 or something like that, and then disappeared. I I fell in love with the World Cup when I was when we were in Germany in 1974 visiting family. I was a kid, and uh, it was you know it was there in Germany. And my you know my mother's cousin took me to see a game, and I you know it just infected you. It was just everywhere. And the U.S. didn't make it back to the World Cup until, I want to say, 1980-something. Not even then. It wasn't even in 86. Well, it there was, was the big year of 94 I want to say 1990. I want to say in 1990s when the U.S. finally made it back into the World Cup. Mm -hmm. And so I kind of grew up with the World Cup as something that nobody here was paying attention to, and the U.S. team wasn't ever part of it. So <laughs> this is deja vu for me, yeah, yeah. but but it's disappointing because we we fought our way back, we lost the NASL league in America, and then built MLS from the ground up, mm -hmm. which was all homegrown players, not foreign players. Like you know when the Co New York Cosmos had every Pele foreign player and, and Pele that, and yeah. Giorgio Chinalia, and so it's it's disappointing that we worked so hard to get uh, back into legitimacy and then didn't yeah. make it. At the same time, the reason is because MLS is so successful in grooming players from other countries in North America. Yeah. I mean, you have players from, you know, Guatemala and Trinidad and Tobago and uh, Honduras and, and uh, you know, and, and uh, Mexico, obviously, all of whom play in MLS and they've gotten skills and they've gone home and those teams are now better as a result. So we face greater competition in our conference. So that, uh, you know, it, on the one hand, it's disappointing, but on the other, it means we have to step our game up. Yeah. Well, and 1994 was that great year. Yeah. Here. Well, yeah. You know, uh, yeah. they, they were here. And then yeah. 98, it all kind of fell apart just did, four it, years later. It did fall apart four years later. And But you know what? There's the, it, We're going to have it again in, uh, what is it, 2028. Yeah, yeah, Mexico, is, Canada, yeah. America yeah. thing, which, which is interesting. Which is going to be fun. Yeah. You know, my daughter's going to be 13. She'll be able to appreciate the games that I'm going to take her to. So and, of course, uh, next year, uh, women's. Yes, in World France. Cup. Yeah, so, you know. I really want to go. I don't know if we're going to be able to go, but I really want to. <laughs> pretty sure you're going. I really want to. <laughs> I'm almost certain. Okay. Uh, movies. Yeah. Movies. Super so true to, the, true to the spirit of the moment, we have a couple of soccer-themed movies this week. Um, and uh, the first one is, um, I'm just going to put these out there real quickly, from First Run Features, Coach Jake. Uh, this is a really, really good documentary um, about the, the most successful high school soccer ca coach in the history of the New York City public school system. And um, he, he's won 17 city championships uh, since 1994 when he began coaching at Martin Luther King uh, Jr. High School. And um, it's an amazing story. It's kind of a stand-and-deliver sort of thing because it's not really about soccer. It's not about the coaching. It's about how he used soccer to change these kids' lives, to change the school, to change the culture of where these kids came from. And it's, it's, it, it'll tug at your heartstrings. It's absolutely beautiful, and uh, it, it's just a wonderful thing. And even if you don't like soccer, you know what? It's okay. Uh, it's, it could have been any sport. And, you know, these are, these are not just poor kids that in these schools. These are kids uh, who are primarily immigrants. They, they come from, from Latin America. They come from the Caribbean. They come from everywhere. Mm. And, uh, and he's, he's changed their lives, and it's just really, really touching. And you know really, what really I always great. say? Some sports movies are about the sport. Yep. The actual sport. Yep. And then some sport movies are not about They're not. The sport. They're about the people. Yeah. Yeah. And then we have a movie which I really shouldn't like uh, because it's not very good, but I like it anyway. Uh, Alex and Me. Uh, which, of course, the Alex and Alex and me is Alex Morgan. If you don't know, Alex Morgan is 
the star right now of the U.S. women's national team with the with the retirement of Abby Wambach, uh, a couple, you know, the, at the last World Cup. Uh, basically, Alex Morgan is now carrying this team. She is the star. She's the face of it. She does, you know, the modeling shoots and the Sports Illustrated suits, uh, swimsuit shoots, and the whole thing. So Alex Morgan is uh, is the the face of U.S. women's soccer right now, and so they made this really uh, sweet but silly movie uh, about this girl, this little girl. Who really, really, really wants to? Her like dream is to play like Alex Morgan. Alex Morgan is her, you know, her great hero, her soccer hero, and she really, really, uh, and has, you know, she just, uh, she's obsessed with Alex Morgan. And uh, needless to say, you, you know, there's a, there's a, there's a, <laughs> there's a weird kind of dumb twist where uh, she imagines that her Alex Morgan poster has come to life, and Alex Morgan is now in her life, and uh, you know, it, it carries on from there. It's a, it's a wish fulfillment kind of a, a genie variation Aladdin fantasy movie uh, a little bit it reminds me a little bit of No Surrender No Retreat where mm. you know the kid the Bruce Lee comes to life and coaches the kid on how to go out and fight Jean-Claude Van Damme in the ring it's kind of dumb <laughs> but anyway uh, it's ultimately it's not really about the sport it's about family and friendship and uh, you know how to get it how to you know manage your life and it's it's really sweet it's silly but it's sweet it's called Alex and Me it's on Blu-ray and DVD, and it also comes with uh, with uh, Movies Anywhere on it, so you can add it to your Movies Anywhere uh, library, which I certainly, absolutely will. Mm. All right, uh, Tim, let's let's uh, jump into some new movies. A what couple we of got? new movies and some interesting things we have here, indeed, including let's start with the big one, Tomb Raider. Yeah, uh, Alicia Vikander is a lawyer. This movie had some problems, which is really <laughs> interesting to me. Uh, that they did this better thematically, you know, yeah. as a film better, uh, almost 20 years ago with Angelina Jolie. They got, yeah. they, got, they got the narrative right in that movie and blew it in this movie. It, the, the, the problem that a lot of people have with this particular Tomb Raider is that she seems to be really sort of uh, attached to the boys yeah. in the movie. Yeah. Uh, you know, motivated by doing things for or because of something that some yeah. boy and or man needs her to do. And, and I'm like, man, they have not been paying attention. <laughs> uh, you, you, you can't have the tube rainer running around, you know, doing. But anyway, uh, that notwithstanding, you know, big CGI movie. She's actually pretty good in the movie. Yeah. I thought she's she was perfect. She's great. Fine. And I'm glad she got this payday because, yeah. you know, she won the Oscar. And then I was afraid, oh, no, they're going to. You know, she's just going to get a bunch of art films for it. No, but they came at her with a big payday and good. Yeah, this and good for, her. And, good for and, her. and by the way, take the money. Go yeah. for the money. Go get yeah. the money. The movie, the movie's okay, and and but it's not really great. In, and for a whole bunch of reasons, lots of special features on here. Daniel Wu is in this film. Love oh, yeah, some yeah. Daniel Wu from Into the Badlands. Sure, our buddy Sherman Augustus is on that show. Uh, but it's an okay film, not fantastic. It's uh, so not not worthy of the of the four K. The four K Ultra HD. No, no, not really. No. Yeah, you don't okay. need all that. For you. <laughs> uh, uh, particularly since most of it takes place inside of a digital cave. <laughs> yeah. uh, cave. Uh, Zoe Dulch, Catherine Hahn, Tim Heidecker, and Adam Scott in this really sort of little interesting film that I actually did for the show uh, a couple of months ago. It's called Flower. You start watching this show, and uh, this movie, uh, and it opens kind of edgy, right? Mm -hmm. You got this sort of young girls, and they're doing this sort of like incredibly inappropriate thing, right? Uh, uh, but they're doing this incredibly inappropriate thing for some pretty appropriate reasons because adults suck. <laughs> that, that, that's why. And they're sort of proving it all the way throughout this film. Um, she ends up with this stepbrother. Uh, stepbrother's a you know, heavy kid who has all kinds of issues. She meets him right when he's getting out of a, a, some kind of a thing for rehab or something like that. Uh, and her and the stepbrother build this sort of uh, interesting relationship. Look, the movie sort of goes on, goes a little bit off the tracks, but there's an interesting set of dynamics in here. Uh, Adam Scott playing an interesting character. I recommend this movie. Uh, I, I, I do. Some good performances, particularly from Zoe Dutch. Uh, Dutch. She was really, really good in this movie. Cool. I think you told me that she's... Um, she's, yeah, Leah Thompson's and, and Howard, Howard Deutsch's daughter. daughter. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I did not know that. Yeah. Looking yeah. at the kid for 20 years, did yeah. not know that. I anyway, know. Flower, uh, kind of interesting. Not a whole lot on it. Uh, special features include an audio commentary with the director, Max Winkler. So I am enormously disappointed in The Death of Stalin, not the movie, but in the fact that they did not release it on Blu-ray. I don't understand this. The movie did extremely well. Uh, it is a great film. It, has, it could even be a dark horse for some award contention at the end of the year, and Paramount has not released it on Blu-ray. They have elected to go just with a DVD, and that is really, really disappointing. I don't understand this. Paramount, please put this movie out. Uh, you don't have to do 4K, but at least do DVD for crying out loud. 
The Death of Stalin is an unbelievably funny and smart movie. Here's the here's what goes on here. This is a British, Belge, French co-production. Um, I, I know a little bit about how and why that happened. I won't get into it. But bottom line is this was originally a graphic novel in France. Mm -hmm. Uh, and it it was uh, turned into by British filmmakers into a basically British comedy. Uh, the the, the uh, Armando Iannucci, who is you know the the who did in the loop previously, and he's a you know creator of Veep. Um, is the and by the way, Armando Iannucci is Scottish. Just mm. want everybody to know that with mm. that name, Armando yeah. Iannucci, he's not Scottish, Italian, not Italian, no, not Italian. He's Scottish. Uh, but anyway, it's basically a British comedy in the same kind of acerbic vein as in the loop about Stalin's death and all of the political machinations that ensue, how everybody is sort of wrangling for power uh, after Stalin, you know, kicks the bucket. And it, these are all actual figures, but they're all written as if they would be in a British comedy. And it turns the entire historical episode into the theater of the absurd, and it's kind of brilliant. Uh, like Steve Buscemi, for example, plays Nikita, uh, plays Nikita Khrushchev. I mean, that's hysterical. Mm. I mean, Steve Buscemi is Khrushchev. Yeah, if you're yeah. not laughing at just the thought of that. Yeah, that's, that's yeah. It's absolutely great. Uh, terrific cast all the way through, American and British actors primarily. Uh, and uh, it's just, it's, it, it's a really, really smart movie. It includes almost nothing by way of uh, extras. It's got deleted scenes and a featurette, and that's it. Uh, so I, I, I've got to believe that there's another release of this with a commentary on Blu-ray, with more stuff in the offing, hopefully when this thing makes a little run at awards season. So The Death of Stalin, if you got to see it, I, I'd rent it right now. I mean, i, I got to hope that there's a better version in the offing because this is insufficient. Mm, not, doesn't quite get over the hump. Yeah. Uh, Steven Soderbergh, who is a real genre shifter yeah. over the course of his career, mm -hmm. made this neat little Claire Foy movie called Unsane. This is a damn good movie. But Steven can do that. He he does. He uh, just he kicks him out. You know, th this is just a straight up horror film. You know, yeah. uh, and and but it's really really super clear. A uh, young woman uh, is stalked by a guy. Um, it's a hard, It's a, just a terrifying moment in her life. She decides she needs a break. Com puts herself uh, in a sanitarium. Uh, yeah. You know, puts herself in a sanitarium, and before she realizes it, she's trapped in the sanitarium. She can't get out. And then she realizes she believes anyway that the person who was stalking her. It's the guy who runs the same. The, the question becomes, is this real or is it all in her head? Right. And right. Claire Flo Foy just plays the hell out of this. Uh, she does everything. I, I don't know where she came from, but she just, boom, appeared on the crown. And next thing you know, she's just, she's amazing and she's in everything and she can do no wrong. It's really, really, really good. Um, uh, features uh, all kinds of stuff uh, on this DVD, on this 4K Blu-ray, I should say, 4K Ultra HD. Uh, nice. So it's a really, really neat. Certified fresh on Rotten Tomatoes, and well, it should be. Um, Supercon. This is a funny little movie uh, starring a whole bunch of people, most of whom you don't know, but Mike Epps is in it, and Maggie Grace is in it, and Clancy Brown is in it, and John Malkovich is in it. It's a movie uh, about these, uh, uh, about one of those conventions, one of those Comic-Con sort of conventions, you yep. know? And you got all these guys to put on the cosplay, and they go down there, and they work at conventions, and a couple of the people, uh, one, one guy was a childhood star in the 80s, and another guy does voiceovers and cartoons. Anyway, uh, they're having a hard time, obviously, because they're having to put on the tights and go work at this convention. Yeah. And they're sick of being uh, uh, jacked over by the promoter who runs this convention, and they decide they're just going to rob the so it just turns into a heist movie. But I got to tell you, a heist movie with people in these wacky costumes yeah. with the capes and the yeah. tights, that's funny. <laughs> that yeah. almost doesn't even make any difference what they're doing. Supercon, neat little, very, very funny movie. Mike Epps cracks me up in this movie. Mike Epps is, I'd love to see him just get another shot at the, another bite at the apple. Yeah. He's kind of, you know, he had his moment there in the 90s, and now he's kind of faded away a little bit again, but he's, he's, he's due for a comeback. It's all about the right material. Yes, it is. Uh, yeah, let's uh, let's knock that out. Knock we'll jump Pacific into Rims some. Real quick. Yeah, you look uh, the Pacific Rim movies. Interesting. And we're going to give away one of these. Yeah, we got two of them here. We, 4K we got, Ultra HD and we, the Blu-ray DVD digital. They're they're asking us to give away the Blu-ray. Uh, so we are giving away a Blu-ray, which has all kinds of fantastic bonus fe bonus features on it, deleted scenes, commentary track with the director Stephen Denied, all kinds of uh, neat stuff. A lot of neat stuff over here on the uh, 4K Ultra HD too. Look, these movies. 
interestingly, really play for the people from whom yep. they play with. You know, I thought they were, they were going to be a big series, yep. sort of like all around the world. Not so much here in the states, yep. but every place else on the planet, these movies are big. I know. Uh, you know, that's why I was surprised. You know, I, I, I guess I wasn't surprised that they remade it or that they made another one. But the, you know, the first one didn't do well here. Mm-mm, mm-mm. Shockingly, it's a really good movie. Yeah. Uh, Guillermo del Toro did a gr- fantastic job with it, but uh, it played huge overseas, mm-hmm. enormous, and not even necessarily in Japan. Yeah, spawned a series, uh, yeah. uh, like a little television yeah. series, and in, in, in a couple of more movies. So you know, whatever it seems to work for other yeah. folks. It's so we're gonna, so we're gonna give away the Blu-ray. Go ahead and send us an email to gods at digigods.com or gods at cinegods.com. Put rim r i m in the subject line. Your name and address in the body of the email. And uh, we will select one very, very lucky winner to uh, get the, the Blu-ray of Pacific Rim as long as we get it by Monday the 25th. We'll give you the weekend. Monday the 25th. You can uh, go all the way to there, send us an email, and you will win a Blu-ray of Pacific Rim uh, Uprising. So we're going to move into some docs right now. Um, Smithsonian Channel. Does this thing called the real story? We've talked about a few of them before, where they uh, they grab a movie and uh, a movie that has some kind of a historical background to it, but they decide to lay the real story on us, which oftentimes, almost always, is a lot more interesting than the movie. In many cases, the the story is is just it, it, it nothing has anything to do with. I mean, it's 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 a bit of a reach. So um, the three that we have here are all over the map. It's True Grit, Brave Heart, and Live Free or Die Hard. Now, True Grit, okay, fair enough. I knew that had some roots in, uh, you know, in, in, in history a little bit. Uh, I, I understood that, you know, Rooster Cogburn was based on a real character and so forth, but mm-hmm. I never knew a whole lot about it. So this is really interesting. Um, it, it, nothing, you know, the real, the real, the background to True Grit is not much at all like what's in the movie. Braveheart, obviously, historical film. Mm-hmm. Uh, William Wallace was nothing like Mel Gibson. I was going to say it's the, just, exact it's the exact opposite. It would see exact opposite. William, well, for, for starters, William Wallace was about you know six foot ten inches <laughs> yes, tall, as opposed to five they, eight. Yes, when they when they uh, that's what put the fear of God into the into the English was when they saw them lined up on a on a faraway ridge. They knew exactly which guy sitting on the horse was William Wallace <laughs> because he looked like a superhuman giant. It was, you know. Uh. Anyway, um, but this gets into some really interesting stuff, which is, is William Wallace somebody to be celebrated? That's the most interesting part of this, mm. which is, is William, was William Wallace really this heroic figure or was he just a, a, basically a terrorist of his era? Was he unjustified in what he was seeking? And, uh, it, you know, it's really interesting. A, a lot of the stuff in the movie obviously was fabricated, and they get into that, but they get into a lot of forensic history, which is very, very interesting. Uh, the real story, Live Free or Die Hard, that's the one that threw me. I'm like, are, really? Are any of the Die Hard movies based in fact? <laughs> that's, really? That's absolutely ridiculous. Um, well, the, the, what, what the, this is a little bit of a stretch. They just decided we wanted to do something that looks into – um, cyber attacks on the United States and, you know, cybersecurity. So we're just going to sort of use Live Free or Die Hard as an entry point. Okay. There's nothing in Live Free or Die Hard that's even remotely attached to, to real life. But in this case, they, they just use it as sort of a launching point to explore a lot of the issues that are in the movie. So that's the, that's the, the one that kind of squeaks by here. But still, all really well done. Smithsonian Channel documentaries, the real story, True Grit, Braveheart, and Live Free or Die Hard. Mm. Where are we going what, next? Let's, not gonna, uh, yeah. Not going to feel these dots. Oh, you know what? I, I, got, I got another one here. Let me, let me do this one, and then I'll, I'll let you uh, pound some of those. As long as I have the, uh, the Morocco-Iran game on in the background, uh, PBS has a doc called Bitter Rivals, Iran and Saudi Arabia, both of whom are, of course, in the World Cup, neither of whom are going to play each other in the World Cup because they're not going to get out of group play. Um, Saudi Arabia is just going to get beaten up. They're, they're going to be three and done, um, which is... Too bad, because you know that country kind of needs a with the with the new crown prince and all. It sort of needs a needs mm-hmm. a new uh, a sense of you know belonging in the world. But in any case, uh, this front line is one of the best I've seen in a long time, and that's saying something. Uh, it, it, uh, you you'd have to live in a cave to not know that there is this power struggle uh, in the Middle East in the Islamic world between Sunni Muslim Saudi Arabia and Shia Muslim Iran. They are. You know they they are they are just wrestling for dominance in the region, 
And uh, as for the reason why, it's very easy to say, well, one is, you know, the seat of uh, Sunni Muslim and the other is the seat of Shia, of Sunni Islam and mm. the other is the seat of uh, Shia Islam. It's more than that. Uh, you know, one is Persian, one is Arab, and it goes much, much deeper even than that. So this gets into all of that stuff, the, uh, you know, going back 40 years in and how it involves the United States and it's really really interesting and it, and it could even go deeper but they just don't have the time to go deeper um so they're focused very on, very much on this recent period and uh and all of its repercussions and ripple effects in the region and it's just absolutely fantastic bitter rivals Iran and Saudi Arabia ah uh, a couple of documentaries over here interesting smithsonian channel docs uh, which I happened to see when they were actually uh, broadcast on the Smithsonian yeah. Channel. Uh, a Star Spangled Ban- a Star Spangled Story, Battle for America. It's about the Star Spangled Banner, the song. Yeah. Uh, Francis Scott Key, of course, wrote that song, 1814, uh, the Battle of Fort McHenry, I believe is when it was. Look, this is the thing about the Star Spangled Banner, uh, and, and it's mentioned in this documentary. There are 19 semitones, a range of 19 uh-huh. semitones. And yeah. st- humans can't sing this song. <laughs> Dogs can sing this song. <laughs> but humans cannot actually sing this song as it is written um, uh, because, you know, it, it, it's just not viable. Nevertheless, it's an, it's an interesting sort of thing, the, the song, the way it was written, why it was written, some of the lyrics in the song, which people people sing this song all the time. You and I, we, yeah. I think you and I were, I know I was um, young enough to actually sing this song in the morning when I was in grammar school. Yeah. I go back that far, you know, middle 60s, yeah. late 60s. I'm not sure when they stopped doing that. Uh, yeah, uh, but, you know, pledge allegiance to the flag, all that kind of stuff, right? Uh, we don't really do that anymore. Thus, people have become kind of unfamiliar with this song yeah. and, uh, and, and, and what it actually says. Anyway, this documentary goes back through the history of the song, what it means, Francis Scott Key, the battle for Fort McHenry, the very war yeah. uh, that almost ended our nation. People forget that, you know, we, yeah. had, we, had, two, we, had, we had two of those. Yeah. You know, people forget about that. War of 1812 was a big deal. We were almost done. They burnt the White House, folks, <laughs> uh, in, in, in case you don't remember. A uh, bunch of brothers put that fire out, by the way. Uh-huh. Let me That's right. A bunch, <laughs> bunch of brothers put that fire out. Um, uh, anyway, neat documentary uh, about that historical uh, uh, item, the Star Spangled Banner. America's Greatest Monuments, another Smithsonian channel mm-hmm. the, the documentary. Very, very neat. Again, again, all of these wonderful monuments, war monuments, monuments to the, to the founding fathers, monuments to moments in history, all over America, particularly the main ones in Washington, D.C., People go to them, they see them, they understand them, but they really, really don't know where they came from. They're sort of shrouded in myth and uh, who built them. People get them wrong all the time. Uh, This neat little America's Greatest Document, Smithsonian Channel, sort of explains all of that, lays it out and gets it straight. I love this kind of stuff. I mean, to stand at the the Lincoln Memorial and actually understand who did that and where it came from and who worked on it and how it was built, these things cannot help but change your attitude about some of the things that we have some Fairly gnarly attitudes about in America. Good stuff. Iran just scored, I want to point out, four, nearly five minutes into stoppage time with about a minute and seconds left in the game. This is unbelievable because Morocco has outplayed them. Morocco was the superior side here, and Iran just on a free kick got it's a goal. An that is so. It's that, an interesting World Cup. Man, Morocco's mad right now. Wow. Talk, talking about rivals in the Arab world or in the Islamic world. Uh, anyway. Uh, let me see the replay on this. Uh, I, you, I ser- you, you want me to talk about? Uh, oh my uh, gosh, what a great! Uh, that's just bad defending. That's just bad defending. The defender lost his man. Nice oh, header. A nice header. Great header. Defender lost his man. Should have been. He should have had him. Oh, that's terrible. And you know what, Goldie, Goldie, yeah. Goldie. Goalies, they, they depend on the de- defenders, too. Yeah, yeah. Man marking. It's all about. Anyway. Uh, um, you got one? Got another one from PBS. Uh, this is an American Experience documentary from Rick Burns, the brother of oh, Ken Burns, yeah. who is also an outstanding documentarian in his own right. Uh, he and Lee Shin Yu did a documentary together called The Chinese Exclusion Act, which is about... The Chinese Exclusion Act. Yeah. If you don't know about the Chinese Exclusion Act, with all of the discussion right now about uh, immigration and everything else, you really ought to. It's a, it's a, it's a shameful moment in American history, but it's an important one to know about. Uh, this took place in 1882. Chester, Chester, uh, Chester Arthur. The, the one right. president that nobody ever remembers. <laughs> that's right. And that's the thing that he did that nobody ever remembers. That's it. Uh, Chester Arthur signed into law... Uh, an act that basically said it's illegal for Chinese workers to come to America. And 
On top of that, if you are Chinese and you're a Chinese national and you're already here working in America, you're not allowed to become a citizen. Yep, could not be national. It, it's straight up singled out a single nationality, not just for um, constraining them from immigration, which they were entitled to do, but it said if you're here as a, as a, as a certain nationality and ethnicity, you're not allowed to become uh, a, a citizen. And the reasons for that are, and the history behind that, is fascinating. Not acceptable by any means, but it's fascinating, and it uh, it tells you a lot. So uh, it, it, this is really, really worth checking out. It gets into it has a few you know interesting bonus video things too as well. But um, it is a it is a really, really good documentary about something that just has become completely unknown to most people, and it's relevant. It continues yeah. to be relevant. So definitely check out the uh, PBS documentary from American Experience, The Chinese Exclusion Act by Rick Burns and Lee Shin Yu. Mm, very, very good stuff. I called him a Morgan, Casper Collin film. Morgan is Lee Morgan, the extraordinary jazz uh, 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 saxophonist, uh, who was just an absolute savant, um, um, uh, particularly when he was young. So Lee Morgan was this wonderful uh, jazz saxophonist who had this uh, blisteringly fast uh, fast-paced career, uh, late 40s, early 50s. Uh, and then, like many jazz musicians, uh, he became a heroin addict and sort of fell out of favor. But he was why, already... Why was heroin such a thing when, in jazz? You, 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 look, I, you know, I, could, I could go into that, you know, and, and um, uh, I mean, we know Charlie Parker. Yeah, and, you know, and all so guys, many you know. of them. Um, uh, so, so there that was. What happened to Lee was interesting. He had a comeback. He had a comeback because he met a woman. Uh, a woman named uh, Helen, uh, who he did, never did marry, although she did become his common-law wife in like the uh, or, 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 uh, late sixties. Um, I won't. It does not spoil anything uh, for me to say that uh, Helen eventually kills Lee Morgan, um, and it was a tragic story, actually based in deepest love, uh, and, and and it was all very sad. But this this movie tracks that entire story, and what's interesting is. It's called I Called Him Morgan, which tells you that the movie isn't about Lee Morgan. The movie is about Helen. Uh -huh. I Called Him Morgan because Helen is really the central figure in the story. And it's that same old tragic story. She saves this man from the gutter, uh, uh, completely reconstructs his life, rebuilds his career, makes him famous again. And what does he do? Younger woman uh. in an ugly moment. Uh, nevertheless, it's a powerful, powerful film. Uh, I, I, I happened to um, to talk to the director of this film last year uh, when he was sort of doing the film festival circuit. Uh, good movie. Um, southwest of Salem, uh, the story of the San Antonio Four. In the early 80s and 90s, there was this crazy, crazy thing that was going on where um, uh, the United States uh, writ large, uh, we started to believe that there were these sa satanic cults all over America. <laughs> and that these satanic cults were here in California. We had the yeah. one here in California yeah. and then down in Tennessee and everyone yeah. else were just doing all kinds of wacky satanic things to yeah. children. It was this thing that we believed and we persecuted a number of people, yes, including we some did. children, uh, uh, for that. Well, these four women who happened to be lesbians were, in fact, arrested and prosecuted for uh, engaging in a satanic satanic cultist ritual that involved uh, several young children. Uh, fought the case, all this kind of, went to prison. It was all, what's funny about it. Was it was 400 years after the Salem witch oh, trials. Oh, 400 years. And, and, <laughs> it's and, the and, same and, thing. And, and even only from the perch of like, you know, what is it, 35 years later, when yeah. you look at this material, when you look at these stories, it, it is plainly obvious that all of this was perfectly insane. You know, for, and, and it's not like yeah. I was, I, dude, I was a walking around adult in the 1980s, you know, watching these yeah. stories. But now I can see it was all perfectly insane. It was just a crazy rich hunt. And uh, this film follows all of it from some of the early days of the trials and all of that stuff, including, including, up to and including the moment when one of the accusers, you know, the, ch the child confusers, uh, ch accusers, 23 years later, recants, recants. Mm -hmm. And is now so she's tragic. 25, That's so tragic. and she recants. And, uh, man, it's just a, a tragic story, but it's one that we don't know about. And if we did know about them, we probably would stop doing crazy things like this. Southwest uh -huh. of Salem, the story of the San Antonio Four. Very powerful doc. All right, we're going to get into some uh, some cult and exploitation now. We haven't done uh, one of these segments in a while, and we got some really, really good stuff. Oh, there's Cristiano Ronaldo. <laughs> Portugal, he's just, he, he's, you know. He's the man. He, he's, he's the man. He annoys me. He drives me crazy. But uh, anyway, Portugal.
All right, so uh, the, from the Nikatsu Erotic Films Collection from Impulse Pictures, I've got a two, two more of the Japanese Women in Prison uh, series, which was a genre in Japan just as it was here. Mm-hmm. So after Jonathan Demme basically birthed that genre here, uh, back in the late 60s, early 70s, making films for, for Roger Corman, um, they started doing them in Japan, and they did them better yeah. <laughs> in many respects. Uh, they're still silly. It's still an excuse to just do a bondage oh, yeah. movie. Yeah. Uh, and J- Japan, of course, has all kinds of censorship issues that, uh, that make it that, where they have to jump through a lot of hoops to do these movies. Uh, but anyway, these are, these are separated by a decade. From 1977 is a Female Prisoner 101 Suck. <laughs> and the other one is from 1987, Women in Heat Behind Bars. Uh, don't expect any of the, any titillation here. These are historically significant only. Uh, this isn't this isn't prurient interest stuff here. This is a legitimate genre from a a subgenre a, that was prominent in Japan for a good two decades. To some degree, still is. And um, it, it, these are interesting from the standpoint of what these filmmakers had to do to sort of serve the genre, but jump through the hoops that Japanese censors create for them. And, uh, you know, bottom line, these are just women in prison movies. I don't need to tell you the plot. You know the plot. Uh, of the two, I'm going to say Women in Heat Behind Bars is the better film because it's actually really funny. It's got some very, very campy stuff in it it's because by 1987, they realized that this genre was ridiculous. They might as well have some fun with it. <laughs> I love it. Well, I let's love it. I love it. All uh, right, go for it. You got a few more over there? No, go you for it. Some more Jump into that. Um, this is just, this just happened to be Robert Downey Sr. Robert Downey Sr.'s yep. uh, movie, Greaser's Palace. Robert Downey Sr., of course, Putney Swove, father of Robert Downey yep. Jr., you know, obviously. Uh, yeah, people a bit of a cult movie. filmmaker in his own right. Filmmaker back yeah. in the day. By the way, if you want to see some of Robert Downey Jr.'s uh, earliest, earliest, earliest yeah. work, watch Robert Downey Sr.'s earliest films because Jr.'s in the movies. And there is a box set from the Criterion Eclipse line, by the way, of a whole bunch of Robert Downey Sr. movies. So don't think that he's just a schlockmeister. Yeah. He made movies that yeah. are sort of very representative of the era. Well, even this one was a social satire about, yeah. the, about the persecution of Christ set in the Old West with Alan Arbus and the sort of zoot suit sort of such. It's a, per- a perfectly bizarre film. Greaser's Palace. Greaser's Palace. But, yeah. but, but kind of neat and worth seeing. Special features include a uh, this um, HD scan of the original camera negatives and an on-camera interview with uh, Robert Downey Sr., who is an interesting guy. He used to pop up on, I like the Merv Griffin show and uh, Mike Douglas show and uh, the Dick Cavett show back in the day. A very intellectual fellow. Uh, if you're wondering where Robert Downey gets his sort of off-the-beaten-path uh, dynamic, you got it from his daddy. Liner notes here by Jonathan Demme, uh, Greaser's Palace. Uh, got a bunch here from uh, Severin. And uh, Severin, of course, does some of the best cult stuff of anybody out there. These are all Blu-rays. They come in the uh, trademark black keep case that Severin releases stuff in. Uh, the first two are the third and fourth installments in the Zombie series. Uh, Zombie 3, significant because directed by Lucio Fulci. And, uh, you know, I'm not an expert in the series. I'm not going to tell you, oh, Zombie 3 is the best. I, you know what? They're all zombie movies. Uh, but as far as the, the whole Giallo thing... Uh, it's certainly, and it's, you know, given that it has Lucio Fulci's trademark, uh, imprint on it, um, this is the first time this film's ever been on any, any kind of HD here, and, uh, it's a really nice transfer. I can't exactly say it's a good movie. It's got, um, it's got some interesting stuff in it, like, uh, you know, there's an interview with, uh, Claudio Fragasso, who would go on to do Zombie 4, which is the other one that we're going to talk about in a second. Um, so he took over for Fulci in, the, but it, you know, and, and you kind of get a sense of what they were trying to do that was different from what was happening in the United States at the same time. Mm. Uh, Zombie Four: After Death, the uh, the one where Claudio Fragasso came in as director, is very much a different film, and uh, it's actually a much more disturbing film. It's it's still very campy, very tongue in cheek, but it uh, it kind of crosses. It's you know it, it it was shot in the Philippines. It starred a porn star. It it goes into a it goes into some very interesting different areas from what the series had been up until that point. And that also has some very interesting uh, extras on it, including another interview with Claudio Fragasso and his screen his co screenwriter, and um, an interview with actor Chuck Payton. So some good stuff on there. 
also, me. also, also from Severin uh, is a surprisingly well. I'm gonna I'm gonna mention both of these kind of in the same <laughs> breath uh, because these there are a lot of really really good British actors in both of these and they do really good work and notably uh, Peter Cushing uh, most significantly is in both of these and the films are uh, Asylum and and now the screaming starts. Uh, Asylum is probably the better film. It has an amazing cast, which includes, again, Peter Cushing, Britt Eklund, Charlotte Rampling, Patrick McGee, uh, Herbert Lom. It's a, it's a really terrific cast. Um, it's, the movie is not up to snuff of the cast, it's, uh, but it's, that's really the, fa- the, the fault of uh, Roy Ward Baker, who's, you know, not, who, who's, a, who's a, a legit director, but he, he just doesn't really bring... I guess maybe didn't have the budget. This was made in 1972, um, and written by Robert Block, of course, who wrote Psycho and mm. such television as Star Trek episode uh, Wolf in the Fold. Um, and it also has Barry Morse from Space yes, 1999. Good old Barry Morse. We love Barry Morse. Uh, so it's, it's a, you know, it's a, it's, this is sort of in the hammer vein, uh, but it's a little bit grittier. It's a little, a little rougher. And Charlotte Rampling is just young and absolutely unbelievable. And uh, it's got some really spooky stuff in it. And that's Asylum. The, they even turned the title into the tagline in a very clever way. Come to the asylum to get killed. <laughs> needle, and, needle, 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 to oh. And now the screaming starts uh, is uh, not quite as, uh, as, as solid, but it's solid in its own way. Uh, Patrick McGee is in here as well, with uh, again, with Herbert Lom and Peter Cushing. Uh, this one is again directed by Roy Ward Baker, written by Roger Marshall. Um, this was made the following year in 1973, and... Um, it's a little bit more uneven, a little more schlocky, a little more horror. It goes for you know, it goes for the the the, the gore factor a little bit more, um, but you know, I guess, uh, and it's very gothic horror set in the 18th century. But if you you know, it again, it's kind of trying to be in that hammer vein, borrowing Cushing from those movies, and uh, you know, if you if you like the genre, you'll certainly respond to it. Uh, the last here that we have from Severin. Um, I'm going to mention this one next. Shocking Dark. Uh, this is from Bruno Mattei. This was made in 1989. It's not really from the, uh, the 70s period, so it doesn't have that. This is much more recent Italian uh, giallo. And, uh, or it, I don't even know what it is, giallo. Um, it's, you know, it's like, it's just sci-fi, sci-fi horror, mm. sci-fi monster movie stuff from the 80s. Uh, done Italian style. Anyway, um, it, it, it's fine. It's it's okay. Uh, you know, speaking of women's prison movies, Bruno Mattei previously did violence in a women's prison, and uh, this is co-written by Claudio Fragasso again, who did you know the zombie movies. Um, yeah, I mean, I guess it owes a little bit to, to Alien, and it owes a little bit to uh, all the other creature movies of the 1980s, but it's not done as well. So I didn't find this terribly compelling on any level. Uh, the last two here are really, really classic. Uh, Violence in a Women's Prison, which we just made uh, mention of, uh, is sort of the, the archetypal uh, Italian version of this. It's, um, it's not as good as what they had in Japan. It's not as interesting as what they did in the United States. But it, if you want to be a completist about the genre, you'll, you know, you'll definitely want to see it. It, it, goes, it tries to be sort of more disgusting than horrific. And uh, that's sort of easy to do. Mm. The last one is just priceless. This is so beyond funny, and I don't think it was ever meant to be funny. This is Emmanuel and the Last Cannibals. <gasps> now, uh, Tim and I were talking before the show that Emmanuel, <laughs> there's no copyright on Emmanuel. You, if you wanted to go out and make an Emmanuel movie today, you could do it. Because all the Emmanuel movies, they spell her name differently. Mm-hmm. The, the original, you know, I mean, you could spell it with one M or two M's, two N's, one N, two L's, an E at the end, no E at the end. You could just spell Emmanuel any way you want. It's, uh, you know, it's an Emmanuel movie. And Emmanuel and the Last Cannibals is just beyond the pale. There's no reason for, to have made this movie. This was directed in 1977 by Joe D'Amato, uh, <laughs> who just made the worst films ever and uh, cranked them out like nobody's business. Uh, Anna Maria Clemente is the star; it plays Emmanuel in this one, and it makes no sense at all. Uh, you know, she just goes into the Amazon and she finds a bunch of uh, you know deranged sex cannibals, and then they just shoot a bunch of sex cannibalism scenes. I love That's all that goes sex on. Sex cannibals—they're a lot of fun. <laughs> That's it. Interesting that you mentioned Emmanuel. I, I have Frank and 
Eva in front of me, which uh, in the cast is yeah. Sylvia Cristal. Yes, who played the original Manuel. Who played the original Manuel. Yeah. In fact, this preceded her. Uh, the director of this film was a guy named Pim de la Parra. Yeah. And it, it is, the, 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 I, I don't know, it's, it's said that she told him, why don't you discover me? Uh, no so, so, so he put her in this movie. Uh, this movie, uh, Frank and Eve, is about this guy and this girl. They're a boyfriend and girlfriend. They, they, you know, they're, they're nuts about each other, except he's always cheating. She can't stand <laughs> that. Eventually, she gets sick, sick of it, and she starts uh, cheating on him, ends up pregnant, and you know everything that sort of happens out after that. This is all about 1972, 1973, uh, when, the, when the film is set. You know, so it's one of those sort of sexy, hairy, 1970s, quasi-Emmanuel sort of films, uh, exploring all the social, se uh, sexual mores of the day. Uh, interesting stuff. Blu-ray and DVD, a new high-definition transfer here. Uh, lots of special features, including an, um, an audio commentary by Pim, uh, as well as some, you know, upfront and naked sex in Dutch films because the Dutch were getting way sexier and naked than <laughs> us uh, way back then. Interesting, though, that Sylvia's in that movie. Uh, I have the violence movie. Uh, in, in, in the middle 80s, maybe, maybe about 1988, 1989, these two brothers uh, named Wilkinson, I think one of them was named, if I'm not mistaken, David, and the guy who directed the film, his brother Eric. Uh, make this film called The Violence Movie. It's, it was sort of a parody uh, about a stalker or serial killer kind of movie. Short little film, 13, 14 minutes long. Uh, it became a bit of a cult classic in the 80s. Uh, they shot it on VHS and edited it uh, in the interesting way that we used to do back then, where you would have two decks uh, linked together and, and, and sort of like do these pauses and cut, the, and cut the film together. Nevertheless, it became something of a cult classic, good enough so that uh, they made another one called The Violence Movie 2, only a little bit longer. The thing about these movies are they really are just sort of parodies of, of yeah. these movies. You got these two short films, and they add a little bit more to them, stick them together. You got enough stuff that you can actually put out a DVD, uh, which is sort of interesting. The Violence Movie and The Violence Movie 2, shot on VHS. Uh, kind of neat, though, uh, thinking about the sort of back-in-the-day filmmaking trend that people were doing uh, in the middle, late 80s uh, back then. The Devil Incarnate by Paul Nashi. Is oh, yeah, it's that? Paul Nashi. Yeah, we, we, we've covered the Paul Nashi collection in the past. Yeah. I mean, he made, another Schlockmeister made tons of movies. Yeah, yeah, most of them not so good. You this could never one. have an actual complete Paul Nashi collection because there would be no room left to live in your home. <laughs> That's how many movies he made. He made a movie every 20 yeah. minutes, uh, all, and, and, and most of them uh, about 20 minutes worth of work. <laughs> uh, set, this is set in 16th century Spain. It's about the devil who, who he literally comes to Earth, becomes immortal, and he simply wanders around the world with a human companion, watching and interacting uh, with humans as a baby, all, all kinds of stuff. And what he finds out is that humans are infinitely more devious uh, than he is. At least uh, that's what that's what's suggested here. 1977 Spain. It's from Mondo. Who is this from? Uh, that's Mondo. Oh, uh, yeah, uh, 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 Mondo Macabro. Mondo Macabro. Yeah, Mondo uh, Macabro. Kind of interesting. Uh, special features include this uh, brand new 4K transfer uh, and an introduction f uh, to the film by the director, uh, an, an interview uh, with the with the lead actor, and, uh, and, a, and a few of the other folks uh, involved in the movie. Good, good stuff. Uh, so I got a few trauma titles here. Trauma. We love trauma and Lloyd Kaufman. Uh, and then we'll uh, see if we can get through some uh, foreign stuff before we wrap the show out. So trauma, here's the thing. Every Whenever Lloyd Kaufman has trauma send out any kind of a, a thing, you know, like my email blasts and the new trauma, everyone else will send you, oh, Warner Brothers is releasing, Paramount is releasing, Criterion is releasing, uh, this and such on this. Uh, Lloyd Kaufman it takes nothing seriously in the world. No. Nothing. You will get something like, angry about Trump and Kim Jong-un? Well, so am I, and that's why you should, and somehow <laughs> that'll deviate into some dumb movie. Something that, to do with the Toxic some, Avenger. Something with the Toxic <laughs> They should have sent Toxie over there to negotiate. You know, it's that kind of stuff. It's just, it, he takes nothing seriously, and it's so funny. Uh, so we're going to go right through them. All of these, I'll tell you this right now, they got five trauma films right here. All of them are absolutely hilarious. Yeah. They are, a, a, you will cry, you will laugh so hard. I had never seen Junk Bucket, uh, so they decided, I guess most people hadn't seen it, so they put Junk Bucket on as an extra on the sequel, which is Junk Bonds, <laughs> The Return of Junk Bucket. And uh, the uh, this, is, this is just basically kind of a... Uh, oh, gosh, it's so stupid. Uh, the, 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 this is basically a, uh, a, a satire of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre movies. 
and uh, a satire in the bloodiest, most ridiculous possible way. And uh, it's just it's just so hilarious. And it's not offensive. It's not you know gory in any kind of a way that'll shock you. It's just really really funny. Uh, this guy, this actor named Peter Litvin is a terrible actor, and he's so funny in this movie called uh, Hectic Knife. And this is really uh, kind of unusual, even for trauma, made in 2015 and done in a way that it, that looks like a, a movie that was made for about a buck fifty-two in like 1979. Um, I think that was clearly intentional. And, it, you know, they, they have a blooper reel on here as well. But the whole thing, actually, I, you could even say this thing feels almost like George Romero. It's very, very weird. But uh, it's, it's like, a, like a slasher superhero movie done really hyper low budget style. And um, there's a whole, like, thing about bagels in here that makes no sense. It's just unbelievably funny. And then uh, you get a little bit of... Uh, I guess I, I want to say this is where Lloyd Kaufman meets um, <laughs> this is where Lloyd Kaufman meets Czech animation and Nathaniel Hawthorne. How about that? Uh, the movie is Gut Boy, a bad time story. This is a they call this this is the only way that I can describe it because this is how they describe it. The world's first marionette musical black comedy riddle film. <laughs> It's exactly what it is. Yeah, that it's, means absolutely nothing. I know. It's just, it's from Mars. This thing is so bizarre. And, uh, it, you know, it's got, it's got the whole marionette thing going, but it's got a, I don't even know how to describe this. It's just, it's weird. It's, it's like shadow puppets and marionettes and a weird mythical journey. And it's just, and, and gut boy. And it's just so bizarre. Um, a little bit more on the uh, the accessible realm is Essex Space Bin. This is the lowest budget science fiction film I have ever seen, uh, and it's brilliant as a result. It is genuinely hysterical. Uh, it, they made this for maybe like 150 bucks. <laughs> there's a, there, there's this is this is about the idea that there's a portal to another world in the in the town of Essex in England, and uh, they really don't make much of a very good effort to discover it. They just shoot the thing in a couple of rooms and you're done. And then I think the best of all of these is uh, Rose and Victor No Mercy, which is kind of like a kind of like a Bonnie and Clyde slash Easy Rider slash Natural Born Killers uh, spoof. And uh, it's it's pretty darn funny. And it's actually surprisingly well done. I, I uh, This was made just a couple of years ago. And they actually... I almost want to say they did too good of a job. It's overly well made uh, because it, it, it's it's better made than most trauma films. Uh, but it actually is a lot of fun. Rose and Victor, no mercy, and boy, do they just tear up the town. Sweet, sweet, sweet. All right, what uh, do you think? Got let's time for any more? We yeah, let's do it. Let's let's knock off a few foreign uh, foreign language films. Um, no problem. Let me yeah. jump into these right here. The Sweet Escape. Uh, this film is just uh, Sandrine Kebelane. Uh, this is just a cute, cute, cute movie. It's about a 50-year-old graphic design artist uh, uh, who lives in the city with his wife, uh, Sandrine. Uh, and uh, he's just, you know, feeling claustrophobic. You know what it is? It's sort of like silly slickers. Yeah. From back in the day. Is what sure. It is. Uh, and he, and, 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 and uh, he sees this kayak, and he's never rowed a boat in his life, and he decides he's going to take himself a trip down the river. And it's really sweet and really funny, uh, and I, it's just one of those movies that you just kind of love. Not a whole lot of special features on this thing, but it's quite engaging, and uh, I suggest you check, check it out. It's in French, of course, with subtitles. Uh, Valentina's Wedding. This is funny. Mexican film. Omar uh, Chaparro and uh, um, Mariamar Vega in this really, really cute movie. This is one of the kind of it, – it, it's funny – how you look at some films and you feel like, you know, I think these folks are sort of like behind the American zeitgeist for uh, you know, about 10 or 15 years or something like that. This yeah. is a 2018 film. But this is the, this is the theme of this film. Uh, a young woman uh, has a boyfriend uh, uh, she's, uh, that she loves and, and depends on marrying. But her father, who's a politician, needs her to pretend like she's still engaged to her ex-boyfriend or it's going to ruin his political campaign. Uh -huh. She agrees to do this, even though she's preparing to marry her new boyfriend. Oh, that's great! Uh, of course, you know wacky hijinks ensue. Yeah, uh, and it's really, really, it's it's a, as ridiculous in 1983 as it sounds. I'd be damned if it doesn't work, and it's not really, really funny. Uh, and it's really, really cute. I think people should check it out. Again, not a whole lot on this Lionsgate DVD, and it is just a DVD. 
Got a couple of really, really cool animated movies here. Foreign language animated films that are really kind of breaking all kinds of boundaries. Uh, they deserve to be mentioned in the same breath. They both are kind of doing something similar with different cultures. Uh, one is Chinese, one is Iranian, but here we go. The Chinese film is Have a Nice Day, and it's, this is kind of like a, this is sort of like, a, I want to say Pulp Fiction crossed with um, uh, Sin City in animation set in China. And it's all about a stolen bag of money and all the, the, all the violence and the treachery that ensues with all these, inter, these interlocking storylines that are all very cleverly put together. Uh, it's, it's, it's actually better than Sin City. Uh, and it's really, really interesting. And in the animation is superb and it's challenging. And I can't imagine how Chinese censors even allowed something like this to, to float through. It, um, it, this is from Strand. And it is really, really interesting and really powerful and really smart. And I would love for this to be on Blu-ray as well. Uh, the other one is Tehran Taboo. And uh, that's from Kino Lorber. This clearly was not made in Iran, but it was made uh, in Farsi for Iranian consumption. Mm. And uh, it's, it's not quite animated in the same way. This is more rotoscoped, kind of in the, uh, in the, the way that Linkladder did. Mm -hmm. uh, 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 waking, waking, waking Life. Yeah. It's, it's, that, it's, it's more in that vein, not quite, but sort of more in that vein. So it's not traditionally animated, it's rotoscoped. Um, but it's still very powerful, and it's, uh, it's all about these interlocking storylines, again, set in Tehran. But the focus here is that Tehran, as we see it, is not Tehran as it is, or is Tehran, Tehran as the mullahs believe it to be or want it to be is not as it is. Mm -hmm. It's a metropolis like any other with all of the vices and all of the, all the issues of sex and drugs and betrayal and you know swindling and money and crime. Like anywhere else. All of the things that the mullahs pretend like don't exist. Anymore. All the stuff they pretend doesn't exist and isn't going on. Mm -hmm. So uh, it, it wrestles with that in a very, very interesting way. And, uh, and the, the filmmaker Ali Suzande Suzan uh, does not live in Iran. Uh, don't know where Ali Suzande lives, but uh, keep making movies like this, please, by all means. And, and let me just toss in this one real quick. Uh, this was on, on Everybody's Radar. Oh, uh, yeah. Last Great year. Loveless is the name of the film, Russian film. Yeah. From the director of Leviathan, uh, a beautiful film. Andrei Zignovsky or something like that. Yeah. I uh, can't pronounce his last name. But this was, an, this was an astounding film. A bleak and very heavy film. Basically, it's about a couple. They have a, a, a young son. Uh, the young couple, uh, the couple is plainly uh, mm -hmm. sort of breaking up. The young son uh, can, can feel all of this angst in the house. And the thing about this movie is that it's not just about this couple. It's about Russia. It's about the nation mm -hmm. of Russia. That's what yeah. it's all really, really about. Uh, the son goes missing. And what this does to this couple, uh, this family, and the rest of their relationships is what this movie is about. Man, this movie pent me to the just pent me. To the <laughs> it, it, it was, it, and, and it's a very dark movie. There's a shot in this movie of the kid, and I tell you, and you know what shot I'm talking yeah, about, yeah. That where the camera drifts over onto the kid's face, and it just tears your guts out. It is, it is, um, it is one of the most perfectly timed and executed shots. And bits of performance you will ever see. It's really tremendous. And this kid's face was just quite astounding. Anyway, yeah. very, very good film. Uh, special feature includes the making of Loveless. Yep. Good stuff. On Blu-ray, by the way. Good stuff. Uh, great movie here. The Brand New Testament by uh, Jakob van Dormael, one of my favorite filmmakers in the world who does not work enough. Mr. Nobody. Mr. Nobody. And, you know, he had, I mean, he made uh, Toto the Hero yeah. back in the early 90s. And then he made... Uh, the seventh day was it the seventh day seventh hour seventh day with, like with, that, da yeah. with Daniel Otoy, which is great and then he took off like twenty years yeah he did it he pulled a Malik on us the it was ridiculous day. the eighth day that's yeah. what it was the eighth day and I did the junket for that too I, with Daniel Otoy and the yeah. kid the, yeah. you know the kid with with Down syndrome who were wonderful he also made brand new testament just a couple brand of years new testament ago, but, a few know, years which ago which is it's sort of interesting too yes and that's what this is. Uh, so the brand new testament is is came on the heels of uh, Mr. Nobody, and kind of represents a return to form for for Yako, um, which deals with the subject of God. Uh, you know, don't don't uh, don't put Yako out of out of sorts with uh, you know small small subjects and small concerns and uh, things. No, he's going to wrestle with the really really big stuff. 
And um, it starred Benoit Poulverde, who is incredibly funny, yeah, who is, yeah. of course, the, you know, the comedic uh, Belgian actor who shows up in so many great French films, including the very disturbing Man Bites Dog, which was uh, his big debut. Um, but he, is, uh, he plays God here. Except he's uh, he just lives in Brussels and he's a regular guy. And he's irritating the hell out of his daughter. <laughs> he has a daughter, and he is really irritating her. But the fact that it goes from all of these absurdist that it has these this absurdist structure to it and this absurdist storyline, and then wrestles with these big grandiose issues. It's a it's a film like nothing you'll ever see in your life. Um, this played at Cannes uh, a couple of years ago, and uh, it is just it's tremendous. It is on Blu-ray. And uh, you definitely want to check out the Brand New Testament. It's absolutely great. Yeah, neat stuff. Uh, the Mimic. Uh, this is a really – from uh, based on a, um, a Korean legend, a ghost story. Uh, it, it, there's some really, really wonderful ghost stories that come out of the, you know, Japan and Asia. And, oh, and yeah. It's really, really frightening stuff. The Mimic uh, is the idea about this ghost who can mimic the voice of humans, particularly humans that people are missing or have lost or something like this. And, and you should not follow the voice into the woods or wherever. Uh, so this one is about a woman uh, who finds a little girl. Uh, who follows the voice and finds a little girl, and uh, nice. perhaps she shouldn't have it. It's, it looks, it's, it's a really heavy, heavy little brooding and very in, uh, intense, uh, yeah, along the lines of um, you know, all of those little movies that they were doing, Ringo yeah. and all that yeah. kind of stuff from yeah. the years ago, The Mimic uh, on Blu-ray. Uh, Vazante by Daniela Thomas is a wonderful, wonderful movie. This is tremendous. This is from Music Box Films, uh, same people the same people that gave us uh, Brand New Testament. And this takes place in Brazil in 1821, and it's it's just one of the most beautifully photographed films you will absolutely ever see. It is just it is it is pristine, gorgeous, gorgeous uh, black and white photography, and it centers around the aftermath of a of a tragedy. Um, and I don't want to give anything too much away because you you do kind of have to get into this. But uh, it's about a trader who suffers a certain tragedy, and uh, precipitates new changes in his life, how he moves his life to a, to a different place, the choices that he makes, and um, how fate kind of takes hold of him and his, and his family and his, uh, his, those close to him, and um, where this leads him emotionally and where it leads them socially and sociopolitically. Um, it's just a really, it's a fascinating kind of, focused little character study on a very particular milieu that is that was part of the the sort of pioneering colonial period of Brazil in the in the early 1800s and it could have been set in the United States just as easily uh, at exactly the same time many of the issues that are treated in here are, are uniquely American issues from the time uh, this includes among the extras a Princeton University master class that Daniela Thomas taught a, and a bunch of featurettes and a really, really cool booklet that has uh, an interview with Walter Salas and an essay by uh, Professor Pedro Montero on the movie. So uh, this is this is just a, a great movie, Vazante, V-A-Z-A-N-T-E. It's really worth checking out. Let me, Please. Let me just go ahead and toss it in Syria real quick because this is another astounding yeah. film. In Syria, uh, it's, uh, it's an intense film set during the Syrian conflict, a single family uh, led by a mother, led by a mother mm -hmm. who – who is trying to protect her family by turning her apartment into a little barricade, uh, her neighbors and all this kind of stuff. And the, the irony of the film is that even, though, even as she is engaged in protecting her family from the war outside, armed bandits uh, break into the apartment building and, and are terrorizing them within their own apartment building. Wow. So there's a war going on that we're all <laughs> may die in, and you knuckleheads... Uh, I think it's a good time to actually, yeah. you know, it's just, it's, it's, and, you know, it, it just, just sort of speaks to the insanity yeah. of the moment. Um, I like the Philip Van Louis, the guy who directed this, is a cinematographer, and he's a really good cinematographer. Uh, uh, he did a couple of movies, uh, uh, including Natalie, Natalie, a uh, French, uh, French guy, from about 2003, 2004. Wonderful, wonderful film. Uh, this is just very powerful. Haim Abbas, uh, Diamond Abu, uh, Aboud, Juliet Abbas. Good, good stuff. The, the films that come out of the Middle East, we just talked about that Iranian So many film. good ones, yeah. So many good films, man. So yeah. many good movies. So um, right. this has a bonus short film on it. Uh, it's in French with English subtitles. Fantastic. All right. With that, we are uh, going to wrap it up this week, and uh, we will be back next week. We're, we got a bunch more foreign uh, stuff that we will pick up on next week when we come back. We'll see you guys then. <laughs> Thank you.